Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. show, please write us a review on the podcast app. Also, share us with a friend. Find us on snoozecast.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at snoozecast and listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Pandora. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters and by First Days. Tonight, we'll read a snoozecast original titled Maggie's Start Date. Maggie is the Green family's loyal dog. However, she may have ambitions beyond being a household pet. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. A splintered oak branch lay in front of Maggie's dog house, blocking access to the chocolate lab's preferred late afternoon napping spot. Two weeks ago, on August 1st, a Saturday, it fell in the backyard of the Green family's home at 108 Ambrose Street during a summer storm that flashed through the neighborhood at 3 a.m. Most folks slept in on Ambrose Street on the weekends, with the sole exception of Marshall Harp. He owned the local landscaping business and realized a certain satisfaction 
at being up before everyone else. But even Mr. Harp's earliest alarm didn't chime until 4.30 in the morning. And so, it could be said, there was not a single witness to the squall, despite the din. But, if there was, they would have watched as the heavy lower limb of the large tree eventually gave way to the wind and came down with a loud thud directly in front of Maggie's small yellow shack complete with white trim. Lily had picked the colors when her father Mr. Green was building the doghouse last year. She had wandered over while he was painting on the primer. Lily had asked, Are you painting Maggie's house white? Well, this is just the undercoat, Lily. You paint this on before you paint the color. Oh, she paused. What color are you going to paint it? Well, I was just about to head to the store, Sweet Pea. Want to help me pick? Lily agreed. On the ride over, Lily became momentarily concerned that Maggie wouldn't be able to enjoy the color of her new house because she remembered her sometimes friend Aubrey had told her, Dogs can't see color. Mr. Green remarked that he didn't believe that was entirely true, and in the parking lot of Jim's hardware and paint, he pulled up an article on his phone. Turns out their canine family member could see shades of yellow and blue, so that set up the framework for their eventual choice. Lily picked canary yellow, since it reminded her of the lemon bars her mother would make for special occasions. Mr. Green paid Mr. Jim, as Lily had called him, and by the next day, Maggie's new house was finished. Maggie didn't say anything, of course, but the Greens could tell she appreciated these new accommodations. Maggie still slept indoors, but now she had a choice. The morning after the storm, most of the neighborhood was out surveying the damage. An uprooted birch for the Tanakas, a shredded rhododendron for the Armstrongs, and it looked like a dead tree crunched through Mr. Squire's woodshed. His next-door neighbors, the Garcias, had considered that tree an eyesore, and although they had lightheartedly asked Mr. Squire to remove it multiple times, they were still not pleased to see this destructive irony. The Greens only had the oak to deal with, but it was a very large branch 
and would need to be segmented. Mr. Green had realized this, looking out the window, sipping his coffee. His son, Rob, had come bounding down the stairs. Whoa, Dad, did you see the backyard? I guess you're excited for the extra yard work, huh? His father teased. No can do, Dad. I've got to work on my Espanol. Rob was going to Barcelona with his junior year Spanish class at the end of September. He started to sneak a bit of coffee. Hey, mostly milk, all right? Mr. Green had said. Rob obliged and joined his father looking out the kitchen window into the backyard. They watched as Maggie briefly attempted to remove the branch by her own accord, but the weight of the errant limb proved too heavy. Maggie whimpered softly and gave up. Later that day, as the Greens were enjoying lunch on their front porch, Marshall Harp walked up with a big grin and inquired if they needed any yard work done, considering the storm. I'm offering half off my usual rate for the cul-de-sac. Neighbors have got to stick together, am I right? He smiled again. The Greens were the last house for him to visit that day, and so far, his pitch had had a 100% success rate. Mr. Green had considered it for a moment and looked over at Mrs. Green. Her slight frown and raised eyebrow meant they were on the same page. Some people you just don't like, even when you don't have a good reason for it, even against your best interest. Something about giving that early morning jogging, whistling while he works, early bird catches the worm, Mr. Harp, the satisfaction of taking care of their tree problem didn't sit right with either of them, even though it was for a great price. Rob and Lily ignored this small conversation and were focused on their tuna sandwiches. Maggie, however, seemed to be extremely interested with this exchange and alternated looking between Mr. and Mrs. Green and Mr. Harp. Thanks, Mr. Green had finally said, but I was going to take care of it myself this afternoon. Well, Mr. Harp replied as he began backing away, let me know if you change your mind. Have a great day. He walked off and started whistling, Oh, my darling, Clementine. Mrs. Green shook her head and wanted to complain about Mr. Harp's irksome manner to Mr. Green, but had decided a long time ago to not set a bad example for the kids. She decided instead to ask the practical question, Honey, 
How are you going to deal with it? I've still got the chainsaw. Shouldn't be a problem at all. But it was a problem. The chainsaw had a bad spark plug. It took Mr. Green the rest of the evening to figure that out. By the time he finally got it replaced, a crisis at his publishing firm had developed. Mr. Green was scant on details, but needless to say, it took up most of his time. And so, two weeks had passed, and the oak limb remained steadfast where it had originally landed, much to Maggie's dismay. On August 15th, Mr. Green woke up feeling good. The problem at his firm had been adequately resolved, and he was looking forward to enjoying what was left of the summer. He wandered downstairs and started a pot of coffee. He looked out the kitchen window and softly tutted as he stared into the backyard. Of course, he thought. He resolved that today would finally be the day he would deal with the tree problem. He put on some slippers and walked out the front door to grab the mail from yesterday. He dropped the pile on the kitchen table. In the interim, Mrs. Green had arrived for her morning cup as well. Morning, hun, Mr. Green said. Mrs. Green yawned. Morning. Mr. Green began preparing pancakes for breakfast as Mrs. Green started to leaf through the mail. There were Lily's immunization records from Dr. Bowtie for her first grade admission, a note from the administration about Rob's upcoming Barcelona trip reminding the Greens of various deadlines to ensure smooth and safe travels. A letter from the Votech school where Mrs. Green taught technical drafting and design about the upcoming calendar year and a whole bunch of junk mail. Mrs. Green finally got around to inspecting the unsolicited correspondence. She noticed what looked like a promo from that new bank on the Esplanade. Look at that, she said, and pointed to the name on the envelope. It's addressed to Margaret. Margaret Green. This must be someone else's mail. What's the address listed as? Mr. Green asked. 108 Ambrose Street. Well, that's us. Unless... They mean Maggie. Her husband laughed. Why would they send a letter to Maggie? Must just be a mistake. I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of marketing strategy. I mean, we're talking about it, right? 
Mrs. Green blew air out of her nose in slight amusement. They get your attention by addressing the mail to your dog. I mean, this is definitely the most effective junk mail I've come across. Well, what does it say? Mr. Green asked while mixing the pancake batter. His wife opened the letter and read it, quickly at first, but then again, and, to Mr. Green's amusement, a third time before she paused to think. Mrs. Green looked at her husband, looked back at the letter, then she looked out the big bay window. There, barefoot and in rumpled sweats, Rob tugged gently at Maggie's leash. The lab circled one of her favorite spots near the mailbox. Rob noticed his mother watching and gave a casual wave. Okay, you got me, Mrs. Green addressed her husband finally. What do you mean, he said, waiting for the big reveal. He enjoyed this little shtick Mrs. Green was apparently putting on, but wasn't sure of its trajectory or if she would stick the landing. Mrs. Green held the letter high up to her brow elbow bent at a right angle, as if displaying evidence to a jury. Exhibit A, she announced, a practical joke by you and perhaps Rob. She glanced outside again, quickly searching for the second culprit, but her son had already brought Maggie out to come in through the mudroom. Mr. Green laughed. I still don't know what you're talking about. Come on, what's it say? Here, Mrs. Green handed the letter to her husband, waiting for him to crack a smile, proof that her theory was correct. Mr. Green's countenance appeared bewildered, though as he accepted the letter, she knew him well, and this reaction was genuine. He read the letter and laughed, thankful to be in on the joke. Now it was his turn to scan Mrs. Green's face for signs of explanation, but it was clear there were none from her. Mr. Green scratched his chin, and Mrs. Green wrinkled her nose. Rob, they called for their son in unison. Most mysteries led back to Rob. Many classic cases were solved by the couple over the years, including who left the milk out and why is it so loud in here? Rob came in with Maggie in tow. Hey, what's up? Oh, is that the mail? Perfect. 
So it was you, Mr. Green asked. Another open and shut case, he thought. Was what? I just wanted to see if my passport came in. Rob began rifling through the stack. You didn't send this letter? Rob read it quickly. His parents loved to play lame, practical jokes on each other and wasn't looking forward to being the foil in another dud. C-plus effort, he thought. Yeah, no, he said. Good luck with that one. The couple looked back at each other, and without saying anything, both agreed that Rob was incapable of subterfuge for an extended period of time. Well, Mr. Green said, walking over to the fridge, I guess the mystery of... He paused for a moment, trying to think of a good whodunit title. The dog that, uh, wanted to work at the bank remains unsolved. You could always ask Maggie, Rob said, as he retreated upstairs. Maggie hurried over to her now full food bowl and ate with the appropriate amount of dignity for a dog. Mrs. Green considered this and studied the well-loved pooch who could easily be confused with a shop vac at this current moment. Mr. Green removed the magnet that held up the newest photo the family had put on the fridge. A picture of the four at Carlsbad Caverns from earlier in the summer. Last one on, first one out, he thought, and pinned the letter to the fridge. He took the red pen out of his breast pocket and wrote, Exhibit A, in the top right corner. The letter read, Dear Margaret Green, Waterfield Bank is delighted to offer you the position of head teller at our Warner Avenue branch. Your start date is September 15th. A welcome packet will arrive in the coming weeks before your start date with orientation instructions. Please review it completely and carefully and keep a copy for your records. Personally, let me just say, we are very excited to find an individual whose values align with our bank's mission and to be onboarding someone of your caliber and personal zeal will be a great addition to the Waterfield Bank community. Please don't pause to reach out if you have any questions. We warmly anticipate your arrival. Sincerely, Charlie Tate, Bank Manager, Waterfield Bank, 
Warner Avenue. The letter fluttered for a moment in the breeze from the mudroom window. Maggie, who had finished eating at this point, licked her lips and put her face flat on the linoleum. She wagged her brown tail. She was content. Mr. and Mrs. Green watched her for a moment longer. Maggie closed her eyes and took one of those naps she was famous for. For a week, the curious letter was an amusing anecdote for the Green family. Mr. Green brought it up during his weekly teleconference meeting at the firm. Lily bragged to Aubrey that Maggie was smarter than Aubrey's dog, Bonkers. This was true in either case. And Mrs. Green mentioned it to her colleagues on Professional Development Day, two weeks before the start of the school year. She had been teaching for 15 years, so she mostly took this day as an opportunity to zone out in the back of the air-conditioned auditorium as Dr. Paste droned on about striving for professional excellence in the upcoming school year. So none of you received a letter like that from the bank? She whispered after giving an abridged version of the story. No, Mr. Rice, the automotive instructor said. I don't have a pet, Ms. Fisher, the newest teacher in cosmetology said, slightly annoyed and worried she might have been missing something from the presentation. I think I would have remembered a letter to Whiskers Macduff, ha <laughs> ha, Mr. Macduff, who worked in her department said, a little too loud. Dr. Paste looked up briefly from his podium to the source of the noise, but continued on with the same speech from last year. The teachers quieted down. Mm-hmm, Mrs. Green thought. When she returned home that day in the late afternoon, she found her husband staring at the letter again on the fridge. Are you sure it's not your brother? She asked. It's not him. But what about that time in Lake Tahoe, the butter incident? Mr. Green shuddered slightly, but shook his head no. All his pranks are physical. This one's a real think piece. A real think piece, huh? A think piece prank? Yeah. But why? I don't know. It's funny, I guess. Mrs. Green paused. Let's have some lemonade. She said finally to her perplexed husband. In the backyard, on the patio, the couple enjoyed the cool beverage. 
Rob walked over with a stack of letters. You guys forgot the mail today. He dropped the pile on the little table in between the Adirondack chairs where they both sat. They watched as Lily twirled into view from around the corner of the house. Rob had kept an eye on his younger sister for the majority of the day, and once both his parents returned, he knew his watch had ended. He turned to head back into the house. Right before he opened the door to the mudroom, though, Rob called back to his father. Hey, when are you going to take care of that branch? It was true. Mr. Green never got around to the branch that day. Rather than weighing on him, as it had when the firm was in crisis, it became a blind spot. He didn't even see it when he looked at the kitchen window anymore. Maybe you should go talk to Mr. Harp, Rob said. You know he's mowing his front lawn now. Gee, son, thanks for the suggestion, Mr. Green replied playfully. Say, Rob, didn't you want to borrow the sedan tomorrow? Rob realized his error. Just a suggestion. Thanks again, by the way. <laughs> I'll be sure to fill her up. Rob ran off before the conversation could continue. I think I will go talk to Mr. Harp, Mr. Green said. But Mrs. Green wasn't paying attention. She held in her hand a letter that she was wildly rereading for the third time. Wait, Mr. Green said. What is that? You're not going to believe this. It's another letter from the bank. What? What's it say? It says they forgot to mention that Maggie, I'm sorry, Margaret, has to get her picture taken for her security badge before she starts. Let me see that, Mr. Green said, and Mrs. Green obliged. The second letter read, Dear Margaret Green, Our apologies. We failed to mention in our previous letter that you'll need to attend our new hire training course for your initial three-hour orientation on September 3rd at 8 a.m. at the Warner Avenue branch. We will also be taking headshots for your security badge that day, so please look professional. Again, we warmly anticipate your arrival and are positive you'll fit right in. Sincerely, Charlie Tate, Bank Manager, Waterfield Bank, Warner Avenue. 
Mr. Green read it again before he and his wife both looked over at Lily and Maggie still playing about 30 feet away from where they sat. Lily was blowing bubbles and skipping around the perimeter of the garden. Maggie trotted behind and leaped to bite at it as many of the floating, shimmering circles as she could. Maggie paused for a moment and looked over at her owner, who she could tell was watching her. Mr. Green cocked his head slightly, and Maggie copied the gesture. Then Maggie got distracted, let out a gentle woof, and began snapping at the bubbles in Lily's wake once again. Mr. Green decided to call the bank first thing next morning. Maybe there really was a Margaret Green somewhere else in the city who didn't know about her job offer. It was time to clear this up once and for all. Mr. Green dialed the bank's main line and looked at the fridge. Last night, as they came in for supper, Mrs. Green marked the second letter with the red pen, Exhibit B, and hung it next to the original. The case was hot again. Mr. Green listened as a chipper recording thanked him for calling Waterfield Bank. Then the helpful voice listed the locations and hours of several of the bank's nearby branches. Then the recording asked Mr. Green to consider several promotions the bank was running for new customers. Then it implored Mr. Green to contemplate donating to one of the bank's many charitable organizations. By this time, Mr. Green had taken a seat across from his wife, who was on the front porch, watering their succulents. Finally, he exclaimed, a menu. Put it on speaker, Mrs. Green said. Thank you for calling Waterfield Bank. We appreciate your call. To hear this message in English, please press 1. Para Español o Prima Dos. Boop. For more information on services and products available, please press 1. To access your account information, please have your PIN number ready and press 2. To open a new account, please press 3. To inquire about your dog's career choice, press 4, Mrs. Green said, bemused. Shh, Mr. Green pleaded. Please don't make me listen to this again. For more information on merchant services, please press 5. Or stay on the line 
to speak with a customer service representative. The hold music started. Mr. Green believed he recognized the soft flugelhorn playing of Chuck Mangione, but he wouldn't have bet on it. Boy, I really hope it wasn't choice four, Mr. Green said. Mrs. Green laughed. Hey, turn that up, I love this one. And she pretended to dance to the tinny track. Your call is important to us, the voice said, interrupting the Muzak every 30 seconds or so. Not true, Mr. Green thought. We are experiencing a higher than normal call volume and all our customer service representatives are currently assisting other customers. Okay, Mr. Green thought. Please remain on the line and a representative will be with you shortly. Have you heard about our incentives for new customers? There are several. Mr. Green held onto the phone as his right arm dropped. He let out a sigh and brought the phone back to his ear. Ask your customer service representative today about this exciting offer. Lily joined her parents on the porch. Can we get ice cream? Although it was 10 a.m., both Mr. and Mrs. Green quickly said, Yes. Mr. Green hung up. Lily, stunned at her good fortune, smiled and ran towards the car. The rest of the week unfolded uneventfully and orderly, moving along as predictable as a grocery queue. Lily played outside. Mrs. Green was finalizing her first lesson plan. Rob alternated between studying Spanish and asking for the keys to the car and Mr. Green reviewed some copy from a book they'd be publishing next year. That all changed Monday morning when the family awoke to a Maggie-less home. A layout is in order. The backyard of the Greens contained a high picket fence that abutted the house on either side directly. They had a side gate that always remained closed from the mudroom through a doggy door. Maggie was able to access the backyard and previously her doghouse, go back into the house as she pleased. There was simply no path for escape. As long as the gate remains closed, Mr. Green considered this as he swept through the backyard, looking for a trace of Maggie. He approached the side yard, ready to confirm his suspicion that Rob, or, well, who else but Rob, had left the gate. 
the side gate was closed. Huh, Mr. Green thought. Mrs. Green appeared beside him. Huh, she said. The family had been over it a couple of times now. Last night, Mrs. Green brought Maggie in from her third walk at 7 p.m. The family watched the rest of Homeward Bound from the previous night. Maggie seemed particularly interested in the story, but eventually fell asleep in front of the TV. When the family went to bed finally, Maggie trotted dutifully upstairs to sleep on her doggy bed at the foot of the Green's bed. When they woke up, Maggie wasn't there. And no, Rob didn't take her out or forget or whatever you are accusing me of. Mr. and Mrs. Green believed him. All right, Mr. Green said. You and your mom take the sedan. Lily and I will take the van. Let's go through the neighborhood for the next couple of hours. We'll meet back here at 11, make some flyers, and head back out after lunch. Neither had any luck, although everyone they ran into promised to keep an eye out. When they rendezvoused in the driveway at 11, a familiar barking was heard from the backyard. Maggie had cornered a squirrel up a tree. The family ran over to Maggie. Lily gave her a big hug. They heaped praise upon her, but Maggie was focused on the squirrel chattering away. Let's get you back inside, Rob said, clipping the lab's leash to her collar to lead her back inside and give her a very late morning meal. The greens shrugged at each other and went back inside. Mrs. Green walked by the fridge. What do you guys want for lunch? Exhibit B caught her eye. Wait a second, she said. What's that, hun? Mr. Green said absent-mindedly. The second letter. Today is Monday morning. Maggie was gone for orientation. Mr. Green perked up and went over to the letter. He reread the relevant piece. For your initial three-hour orientation on September 3rd, at 8 a.m. Today was September 3rd. They figured out she was missing at 9 a.m. They spent the next two hours looking. She was back at 11 a.m. Mr. Green laughed. He couldn't believe he was actually entertaining the idea 
Yeah, but we met back at exactly at 11. It's at least a 10 minute drive to the bank. How long would it take a dog to run? It says it's a three hour orientation. She should have been back at like 11.30. Mr. Green realized what he was saying. I mean, this is ridiculous. Of course she didn't go to an orientation. She's a dog. Mrs. Green nodded, but she detected her husband was uncertain as well. Two days later, Mr. Green grabbed the mail first. He had anticipated this prank. Was it a prank? Would develop further and wanted to be the first to know. There it was, a thicker than normal envelope from Waterfield Bank. He tossed the rest of the mail on the kitchen table as the Green family filtered in grabbing water and coffee. What's that? Mrs. Green asked. Mr. Green made a vocalization and wagged his skyward pointing finger somewhat erratically, a gesture Mrs. Green had never seen her husband perform before. Exhibit C? Mrs. Green prodded further. Mr. Green's eyes widened. He cupped his hands around the mystery object and clapped them together. He slowly produced the contents like a magician's reveal. A laminate badge with a small metal clip. The words on it read, Margaret Green, Head Teller, Waterfield Bank. There was a picture of Maggie. Mrs. Green stared at it. Wow, she finally said, Rob laughed and asked, what? To no one in particular, he commented. Boy, that picture looks familiar though. Lily asked, is Maggie a police dog now? I'm telling Aubrey and ran off. Mr. Green finally got around to the third letter. This time, he read it aloud for Mrs. Green and Rob. The letter read, Dear Margaret Green, Thanks for taking the time to attend our new hire training course this past Monday. We are excited and passionate about the energy you will bring to the Warner Avenue branch of Waterfield Bank. Enclosed, please find your security badge. Again, we warmly anticipate your arrival 
on September 15th. Sincerely, Charlie Tate, Bank Manager, Waterfield Bank, Warner Avenue. Mrs. Green took it when Mr. Green finished, read it again out loud, wrote Exhibit C on it, and stuck it on the fridge below the last one. On the top part of the fridge, where the dry erase monthly calendar of family events lived, Mrs. Green circled September 15th in the bright red marker three times and wrote Maggie's start date. Mr. Green looked outside the kitchen window. The tree branch still lay in front of Maggie's house. He pondered. I wonder if her insurance is better than mine. 